Chapter 27 The Right of Truth At that time, I always spent the first hours of the night on the terrace of the Sorrowless, either alone or with Medini. On the evening of the day of which I have just spoken, I was there by myself, and, considering the state of mind in which I then was, solitude was my best companion. The full moon shone as on those memorable nights of the past, and I stood before the great Asoka with its wealth of blossoms, to beg from it, the heart's ease, a comforting omen for my troubled heart. After some time I said to myself, If, between me and the trunk, a saffron-yellow flower should fall before I have counted to a hundred, then my beloved Carmenita is still alive. When I had counted to fifty, a flower fell, but an orange-coloured one. When I reached eighty, I began to count more and more slowly. Just then a creaking door opened in the corner between the terrace and the wall of the house, where a stair led down into the courtyard, a flight of steps really intended only for workmen and gardeners. My father came forward, and behind him sat Agira. A couple of soldiers armed to the teeth followed, and after them came a man who towered a full head above the others. Finally, yet other soldiers brought up the rear of this strange, not to say inexplicable, procession. Two of the latter remained to guard the door, whilst all the others came directly towards me. At the same time, I noticed that the giant in their midst walked with great difficulty, and that at every step there resounded a dismal clanking and rattling. That very instant a saffron-yellow blossom floated down and remained lying just at my feet. I had ceased counting, however, from sheer astonishment, and as a consequence could not be sure whether it had fallen before or after the hundred had been reached. The group now advanced from the shadow of the wall into the moonlight, and then I saw with horror that the giant figure was loaded with chains. His hands were fettered at his back, about his ankles clanked heavy iron rings which were linked together to the end of a huge iron rod, and were connected by double chains of iron with a similar ring around his neck. To it in turn two other chains were fastened, and these were held by two of the soldiers. As is usual in the case of a prisoner who is being conducted to the scaffold, around his neck and on his hairy breast there hung a wreath of the red canavira blossoms. And the reddish-yellow brick dust with which his head was powdered caused the hair hanging down over his forehead and the beard which reached almost to his eyes to appear yet more ferocious. From this mask his eyes flashed out at me and then fell to the ground, wandering furtively hither and thither on the floor like those of an evil beast. As to who stood before me, I should not have need to inquire, even if the Carnivira blossoms had concealed the symbol of his terrible name, the necklace of human fingers. Now, Angulimala, Satagira broke the silence, repeat in the presence of this noble maiden what you have confessed on the rack regarding the murder of the young merchant Carmenita of Ujjaini. Carmenita was not murdered answered the robber gruffly, but taken prisoner and made away with according to our customs. And he now related to me in a few words what my father had already told me of the matter. I stood meanwhile with my back to the Ahsoka tree and supported myself by clutching the trunk with both hands, burying my fingernails convulsively in the bark in order to keep myself from falling. When Angulimala had finished speaking, everything seemed to be going round in a whirl, but even then I did not give up. You are an infamous robber and murderer, I said. What value can your word have for me? Why should you not say what is commanded to you by the one into whose power your villainies have brought you? And as if by an inspiration which astonished even myself and caused a glimmer of hope to flash up within me, I added, 
You do not dare to look me in the eyes even once. You, the terror of all human beings, and me, a weak girl. You do not dare, because at the instigation of this man you are telling a cowardly lie. Angulimala did not look up, but he laughed harshly and answered in a voice that sounded like the growling of a fettered beast of prey. What good end would be served by looking you in the eyes? I leave that to the young dandies. The eyes of an infamous robber you would believe as little as his words. And his oath would, I suppose, signify just as little. He came a step nearer. Well then, maiden, be witness now to the right of truth. Once again the lightning of his glance struck me as it swept upward and fixed itself upon the moon in such a way that in the midst of the tangle of his discoloured hair and beard only the whites of his eyes were still visible. His breast heaved so that the red flowers moved as in a dance and with a voice like that of rolling thunder amongst the clouds he called aloud, You who tame the tiger, snake-crowned goddess of night, you who dance by moonlight on the pinnacles of the mountains, your necklace of skulls swaying and crashing, gnashing your teeth, swinging your blood-filled skull-cup, Mother Kali, mistress of the robbers, you who have led me through a thousand dangers, hear me! Truly as I have never withheld a sacrifice from you, truly as I have ever loyally observed your laws, truly as I did deal with this Carmenita according to our statute, the statute which commands us senders, when the ransom does not arrive by the appointed hour, to saw the prisoner through the middle and cast his remains on the public road, just as truly stand by me now in my direst need, rend my chains, free me from the hands of my enemies. As he said this he made a mighty effort, the chains rattled and shattered, arms and legs were free, the two soldiers who held him lay prone on the earth, a third he struck down with the iron links which hung at his wrists, and before any one of us clearly understood what was happening, Angulimala had swung himself over the parapet. With a fierce shout, Satagira gave chase. That was the last I saw or heard. Afterwards I learned that Angulimala had fallen, broken a foot, and been captured by the guard, that he had later died in prison under torture, and that his head had been placed over the east gate of the town, where Medini and Somadatta had seen it. With Angulimala's right of truth, my last doubt and my last hope left me. For I knew well that even the fearsome goddess Kali could not have worked a miracle to rescue him if he had not had the strength which truth lent to his side. As to what should now become of me, I troubled myself little. For on this earth everything good was henceforth lost. Only in the paradise of the West could we two meet again. You'd gone before me, and I would, as I ardently hoped, soon follow. Only there could happiness blossom. All else was a matter of indifference. As Satagira now continued to press his suit, and my mother, always wailing and weeping, kept on making representations to me that she would surely die of a broken heart if through me she should suffer the disgrace of having a daughter remain unmarried in the house of her parents, she might just as well have given birth to the ugliest maiden in Kosambi. Little by little my resistance weakened. Over and above this, I no longer had so much bitterness to bring against Satagira as before. I could not avoid recognising the steadfastness and fidelity of his attachment, and I also felt that I owed him gratitude for having avenged the death of my beloved. Thus, after almost another year had passed, I sadly became the bride of Satagira.